0: Hello, my name is Marcus. Welcome to Extraordinary, where ordinarily I interview ordinary people with extraordinary outlooks on life. But every so often, to spice things up, the actor Ed Stoppard takes over the ship's wheel and navigation systems to deliver B-sides, where Ed speaks to a person of note about a hidden passion. As luck would have it, this is indeed one of those weeks and Ed has managed to secure the talented actor Mark Bonner. Over to Ed and Mark. Can we start by saying, how do you both know each other? Which TV or film project brought you both together? Funnily enough,
1: it was neither. It was a hotel room in Montreal in Canada that brought us together. That's awesome. um, I've been a, a fan of Ed's for a long time. I was a little overexcited to see him at the breakfast table, um, or at a breakfast table when we were doing, we were both in Montreal doing a, a game called Assassin's Creed Black Flag, giving our very best various Bristolian accents.
2: I was going for, I was going for East Anglia.
1: We did happen to work together on Home Fires, which was oh, a rather.
2: Oh, those were the days those were the days we filmed home fires in 2014 and black flag gosh god i mean and just bear in mind actually on on black flag that we spent i don't know what was it a week or something in a velcro wetsuit
1: with dots stuck to you
2: and And a very very
1: very tight helmet
2: that's right
1: your head is like clamped in a vice um, with a camera six inches inches from your face and, as Ed says, a, a very tight wetsuit with dots all over it and f- surrounded in a room surrounded by cameras. It's quite unnerving, actually, at first, because you know that your every move is being analysed and you've got to kind of somehow act in amongst all that as well. It was a bit a steep learning curve, I thought.
2: It was quite daunting and it certainly made me aware of how much I wave my arms around when I'm acting. <laughs> Uh, which which apparently
0: isn't good. Ed, should you be probing your guess as to the nature of this podcast?
2: All right, so look, so I'm going to do a little kickoff.
1: Uh-huh.
2: Righty-ho. Uh, welcome to uh, another episode of B-Sides, where I... Probe the soft underbelly of my guest, looking to reveal their hidden passion beneath. That guest today is a brilliant actor, a thoroughly lovely man, and on the death of Sean Connery, he will officially become Scotland's sexiest man. He is, of course, Mark Bonner. Mark, welcome. Thank you.
1: Got a great intro. This I've is, never had one like that before. <laughs> this is
2: bucket list stuff for me. I've had a bit of a secret crush on Mark from the get-go. Have you? If I'm honest.
1: Entirely reciprocated.
2: I have actually said in print that you're my favourite actor. I've definitely said to interviewers when they said, who's your favourite actor? And I've said, uh, actually, it's Mark Bonner. I'm blushing. I'm now going to make that case and i'm simply going to do it oh. by reading the names of some of the shows you've done in the last few years the much missed home fires of which we the did much two much missed series. home fires catastrophe yeah. seminal series of line of duty unforgotten apple tree yard shetland which has been running for what seven years
1: seven six six we're coming up for a series 6 yes yeah, so seven go, years
2: and a whole bunch of things which i haven't mentioned mark you are for yes, me thank pound you. for pound you're the best in the business. All right, listen, here we go. Now, um, one of the USPs of this podcast is that I do not know what my guest's B-side is, what their hidden passion is. All right, I'm completely in the dark. So I'm now going to ask Mark to reveal to me and the nation. (laughs) Mark, would you please share with us your B-side?
1: For those playing at home and our studio audience, my B-side is I'm a drummer. Oh,
2: oh, I don't believe it. You're joking. Uh, You're joking. I, know. But I don't. But be- I can't believe, but at the same time, of course, I can believe that your B-side <laughs> has actually just made you even cooler. Honest to God. You haven't heard my drumming yet, mate. Yeah, but like, <laughs> you know, in my head, I was thinking that maybe you were like doing work for the UNHCR in a refugee camp or something. Drumming! How did you get into drumming?
1: When I was about um, probably 11 or 12, I was, the the bands that I was into at the time all featured really cool brilliant drummers i loved adam and the ants who had Mm. two drummers and a Mm. great kind of savage tribal beat behind most of their songs you know uh, certainly on kings of the wild frontier i loved blondie who have arguably the best drummer in the world in clem burke and i had a vinyl, an LP of um, Queen's Greatest Hits, which I think somebody bought me for my birthday. And Roger Taylor was my kind of starting point with drumming. So I just don't know what it is. I can't remember exactly what sparked the first kind of thing? We lived in a kind of council block of four in Loch End in Edinburgh. So basically, you opened the door and walked straight into the living room. It was one of those houses, you know. So off the living room was two bedrooms and a kitchen and a, and a bathroom. And my mum and dad's bedroom was the biggest. And I used to go in there with my dad's big silver headphones on, which stretched through from the living room because they had a, a long lead. And I used to listen, I used to put on Queen and play with my mum's knitting needles on pillows it's every I think it's every single drummer's story that I've ever heard talking about how they started drumming it's pillows and knitting needles and so I that kind of probably went on for a few months my dad's an artist but he's always dabbled in some there's always been some kind of musical instrument around but at that time when I was sort of 11 12 and getting into drumming he had a flugelhorn which is a kind of slight, uh, it's like a bigger trumpet. And his mate, Kenny, and him played in a band. I think dad kind of in and outed a wee bit, but he said, oh, I'll come along and, you know, play a bit of flugelhorn. So, and he took me along to band practice one day. The, the band practice was at Kenny's dad's house and he had a, like an outbuilding with an upstairs and upstairs was this fully insulated, like with egg curtains and stuff, like band practice room. And in the middle of this, when I walked in, first of all, the first thing that hit me was the smell band practice rooms always smell exactly the same and I don't know what it is and I've I've rehearsed in many, many different practice rooms in Glasgow and London and all over and they all have the same smell and I think it's a mixture of Mr Mr. Sheen and Sweat. Now the second thing that I saw was this beautiful, shiny, red Premier drum kit. It was gleaming, it was iridescent in the corner and I just about weed myself, I was so excited because I'd seen on the albums that I had and the pictures of drummers or drum kits or drummers behind drum kits that there was in those albums I'd kind of gazed at them longingly looking, examining the cymbals and just wondering, sort of fantasising about what kind of sound they made and my juices got flowing for, for drum kits and it was it was Kenny's brother Gordon that played it and they had a break so I, I sat in and listened to them playing and the sound was unbelievable you know, the noise and the level of noise was just remarkable the most exciting thing was that when they had a break like they had a 15-20 minute break and Gordon said do you want to have a? Do you want have a go? I went yes. So I sat when they all went. I sat down behind this kit for twenty minutes and beat the hell out of it and just imagined I was a rock god. <laughs>
2: And that was the first time you sat behind a kit.
1: That was the first time I sat behind a kit. Was when I was about twelve. Had
2: you had you already been hitting your mother's pillows with knitting needles for a few for a few months? Oh, for
1: yeah, for a few weeks, I think. But then the wonderful thing was after that, after Gordon obviously saw how excited I was by it, he he had a practice kit which uh, he had made, I think, just out of plywood and rubber pads, and there was like four pads in the sort of shape of a drum kit. He lent it to me. He gave me a long term. Loan of it, so I had it for about a year, and we just moved out to a place called Tranent in East Lothian to a sort of bigger house because my dad, even though it was a council house, my dad had said that he needed, as he did, he needed space to work for his for his art and stuff. So we we got this council house in Tranent that was a, like a five bedroom council house, and uh, it was like a detached thing on on its own. And I played those practice pads for for yeah a year, year and a half, and then eventually Gordon went, oh, have you still got those practice pads? But by then I was like, you know, I was totally in love um so drumming has always been at the forefront of my whenever i hear anything it's always the the drumming that uh, i fall in love with first so i love like you know dave Grohl and clem burke is still up he's still the best
2: just to sort of head him off at the pass because i know he's itching and to be honest either he's died or his wi-fi has dropped out or he's just showing a level of (laughs) self-assurance that i didn't know he had but uh marcus himself Indeed. An enthusiastic drummer.
0: I just totally fell in love with the description of how you fell in love with drumming. And I stopped being a producer of a podcast and I was just a listener in awe of that story. I came to drumming much later in life, in my 40s, when I suddenly had an urge to drum. But I was a guitarist at school. I always had a feel for drums. And I just took lessons in my 40s and and I've got a kit in the basement at work. I've occasionally played with another guitarist and that's a weird experience. But I don't know whether you've, have you ever, have you been in a band? Yeah, that was going to be my question.
1: Yes, that was the next step forward really because I it didn't progress any further than just in my bedroom with these practice pads and once the practice pads left I kind of it it left me really I mean I still loved drumming and you know I still you know tapped around on my legs and stuff you know And but I never really I mean that would uh, I would have been maybe 13 14 and I think there was little dalliances at school or or no it was after school it it, it was um, after we left school And I think my mate Keith and his mate Keith, they started a sort of, I think I went down once to rehearsal rooms to drum along with them one time, but that was it. But I'd kind of grounded myself. I had a grounding. I taught myself, you know, the basic 4-4 beat and I've taught myself, I've taught myself everything really that I know. My drumming's not great, but everything that I know is mine. I also taught my brother, my brother is now a percussionist, <laughs> so he, I didn't teach him, I taught him the 4-4 four four thing, and he loved my friend on the kit as well, but he's now a proper, proper drummer, you know.
2: When did you get your first kit? Uh, well, uh,
1: there's another kind of uh, funny thing, cause I've never had one. Back up, back up, back up. Do you not have any drums at home? Uh, Well, that's what I'm getting onto that, you see, because that's that's what inspired me to choose above the three choices that I had for this podcast. Yeah. I thought, well, one of them is an old thing, which I'll never probably go back to. Another one is a sort of ongoing thing, which is fairly interesting, but not really that interesting. And the other one is drumming. And drumming is the one that I know I am going to go back to because I'm going to buy, I'm I'm kind of not at the moment, but maybe when things become a bit clearer about our livelihoods, I'm going to buy an electronic drum kit. For down here, I've got a, I'm lucky enough to have a room at the bottom of the garden, which is quite big. And it's where I'm sat now, actually. It's got my hi-fi set up. I built a wee voice booth in the corner, you know. And, um, but there's room for a drum kit as well. And I've got my electric guitar that I play guitar as well, but I, I want to get back into the drums. And I want I think my boy would really love the drums as well. I think they both would actually, both my kids would, but I think Samuel's got a, a, an inkling towards drumming i think and i really want a digital kit so you can put you just put your headphones on and you've got a choice of you know 170 drum kits yeah and you can play along to all your favorite tunes and that's just what i want to do really yes i've never had my own drum kit but i've always used the drum kits at rehearsal rooms because there's always a kit in a in a in a practice room and so gigging, we didn't do much gigging. We did a lot of practicing, but we didn't do much gigging because I didn't have a kit. The band that I was in was called were called the Blimps. Well, this was at college when I went to drama college when I was twenty three. Guy called uh, Mike Morland, who's still a very good friend of mine. He start he wanted to start a band, and they discovered him and his mate Tony had always played music together for like since they were wee, you know. And they're brilliant songwriters, and they've been through various incarnations with various bands stuff just sort of kids stuff you know and uh, and when we got to college and they learned that i was a drummer and then we went down the uh, practice rooms for the first sort of rehearsal and they were like oh brilliant you really you know I, I actually nicked for the very first song we played together i stole one of gordon monroe's riffs the guy that let me sit on his drum kit wow. when i was 12 he one of his riffs really struck a chord with me and i nicked it for the very first song i played with the Blimps. it was hilarious yeah, so, so that was the band That we had at college We played We did about three gigs We played Strathclyde Uni-Union We played um, We played at college as well The the final year dance Or whatever it was Our final year piss up And we had mostly Our own songs And we played a couple of covers Undertones And you know whatnot. We were sort of punk You know
2: I was just going to Sort of point out That there are kind of Gradations of B-sides And you know Some people They do sort of You know Their B-side Will never take them out Of their spare bedroom And whatnot. But despite the fact you've never owned a set of drums you have actually played bona fide gigs
1: we were at drama school and there was like three years worth of drama students and then there was a music students as well so we just got them all to come whenever we played and they kind of they
0: were very supportive you know i didn't know this b-side would emerge as drumming but you have a theory ed that a lot of people's b-sides are atavistic and the drumming would certainly yeah fall in that category yeah what does atavistic mean
2: it means kind of it means sort of primal sort of ancient pre-history pre-kind of of consciousness sort of pre you know so it's just in your body
0: the b-sides so far have been ed's archery and there was but but ed's description of archery felt quite atavistic quite ceremonial connecting with nature and stillness then we had Catherine, who was it was a pond swimmer. Was, that was her B-side. Oh, and now we've no, got, like
2: freshwater swimming.
0: And now we've got drumming. Right. It's
2: all very – it feels quite private. <laughs> it's all falling into place. I can actually – I think I'd better start dusting off my Nobel Prize for anthropology because
1: it's a shooing.
2: <laughs> I don't know if the landscape yeah. is still publishing in COVID, but they better clear some space in the next issue.
0: The thing I love about drumming is the, obli- the state of oblivion that you can reach in drumming. Yeah. It's, and it's not uh-huh. – it's meditative, no different to when Ed, when you are doing archery, or when Catherine is doing her pond swimming. Is that there is a meditative thing to drumming that's obvious? There, there is definitely that when you are when you are
1: drumming, when you uh, get into a zone. If you're on your own, I would go further and say that when you're in a band or indeed I've sung, I've I've done one musical in my life and singing also has the same thing. Well, it's a band of sorts, isn't it? It's a choir. Um, But when you're either singing or playing together and something unspoken, atavistic, I suppose, um, clicks into all of you at the same time, it takes you to somewhere else. It definitely, definitely takes you to somewhere else. There is something that is other about um, four or however many people uh, playing music together, making music together.
2: Yeah, and is that something that you crave, or well, "crave" may be too strong a word? But is that something that draws you to drumming? That feeling that you yeah. maybe don't get in your just everyday life.
1: I would say that, I would say that I do probably get it in my everyday life. Um, not in my everyday life, but in my everyday work life. If I'm working, yeah, I think there is a similar thing with acting that if you're Certainly on stage, not so much in on camera, but it can happen. But on stage, I would say definitely you, you know, it's that good show, bad show thing. You know, you come off stage exhilarated because you've had the most incredible night and everybody's buzzing, you know, and, but you don't know what it is. It's that age old tale about, um, about Olivier coming off as Othello, I think it was.
0: Yeah.
1: And, um, uh, the stage manager saying to him, it was a wonderful show tonight mr olivier he has got yes but i don't know why um you know that kind of that thing that you can't put your finger on that's um that is the other it is definitely something that is um that i i yearn for and have for a long time i mean i i i pick up and play the guitar now and again so what so you you're going to get yourself an electric drum kit uh, yes i am and I've I've decided that once yeah once I know where the next money's coming from, <laughs> right. Once this is all over, yeah, that's going to be a, a purchase that I, I want to make because I've realised that there's very few ways I can make money. In fact, there's only one way that I can make money, and that is by acting. It seems because I've tried everything else in my life, and I know because of um, because I've been homeschooling for the last three months, I know that teaching definitely isn't one of the ways I can fucking <laughs> yeah, make money. um well that's been a slog yeah but i mean i obviously love them but it's hard work oh my god i think that i think that once uh once i know that everything's going to return to a bit of normality and i've got some money coming in again i really really want to buy a drum kit because i think it's uh it's it 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 always speaks to me and it's always in me and it's uh I, i just um i just miss it i miss it and I had a shot of a drum kit. I was I was doing I was rehearsing a play for the Royal Court in in rehearsal rooms in, in near not Clapham Common uh, Clapham Junction, and um, it was a wee walk from Clapham Junction, sort of almost at the uh, almost at the river, and I. They, they, there was a brilliant music studio, but they'd bizarrely they'd just made a documentary about Clem Burke, uh, and they get I got chatting to the, the guy that owned the place and everything. He was really nice, and he gave me a copy of the documentary. It was really good, but he also they had like music studios downstairs, and they had like a rehearsal space upstairs, which is where we were. And um, he said because I'd seen the kit in the rehear in the rehearsal room. And I said, can I have a shot of the kit? And he went, yeah, yeah, because I'm always quite embarrassed because I've not played for so long. I don't mm. practice at all. Mm. So I sound terrible when I get on a kit. You know, it takes me, it takes me a couple of days to get back into strengthen the muscles that you need, you know, mentally and physically to play. So yeah, I, I went in and bashed the hell out of it while listening to Blondie on my, um, on my Walkman, my Walkman on my phone. And it, that was great. But I was very aware that. I could be heard, you know, so I was a bit embarrassed. But no, I, down down the bottom of the garden here, nobody can hear me. That's why I turn my music up really loud, and right. you know, it's great. Should,
2: should we just say, for you know, just for the sake of argument, should we say that you being on B sides has spurred you on to purchase your first ever drum kit? Should we, should we just, should we just say that? Let's say that, shall we? Yeah. Let's say that.
1: All right. Me me do you know what? Me being on B Sides has spurned me on to buy my new my next drum kit. I'm, my I only, my be, first drum kit.
2: I couldn't be more delighted. Mark, it's been such a pleasure. <laughs> I've so missed you. Bloody hell. Oh mate. Oh, really anyway.
1: It's been really good to spend a bit of time together.
2: Oh, it's been lovely just to hear you. Even more. though I've
1: just rabbited on.
2: No, I'm gonna play this back tonight and as I go to sleep, and I'm just gonna fall asleep to your dulcet tones. Um <laughs> anyway,
1: listen. Hey, listen. I've got. Yeah. Can I ask you something? Go on. I've got um. I've got one of our old songs, the Blimps old songs, teed up on my hi fi right now, which oh, might be right. you might not be able to hear it very well. But Go on. shall I play you out with that? Totally. A that. It's got a drumming intro. Stick it on. Go the mic it. should be good enough to get it so. exactly. Mark. And um, listen, how much? How much of this do you want me to play? Just, just play us through your drum solo. Well, it's, oh, no, it's not a solo. It's just it starts, it starts like a millisecond before everything else us. does.
2: Give it to us.
1: All right. I'll try, I'll try and turn it up a bit as well. Right. On.
2: Mark, thank you so much. Ed. What a pleasure. It's and been I pleasure, believe, idea. I'm just uh, I'm hearing in my uh, earpiece that um, you're actually going to play us out this week um, with a song... <laughs> From the uh, the band you were in at drama school, uh, some twenty five yes, years ago. The name th- of the what was the name of the band, please?
1: The name of the band was The Blimps, taken from the Captain Beefheart song.
2: Excellent. The um, um, so so song you'll be playing for us tonight is life "In the Glass." One more time.
1: This is the blimps with life in the glass. Oof. God, I love it already. All right, away you go. Let's see if I can. Hold on. Uh, what's happening? Uh, okay. Right, here we go.
0: And that was the actor and drummer Mark Bonner on B-Sides with Ed Stoppard. Next week for Extraordinary, I'll be talking to a man called John Park, who between 2002 and 2012 attempted with an army of passionate theatre volunteers to review the British fringe theatre scene. John is interesting because in that period, he was instrumental in supporting so many emerging artists. If you're new to Extraordinary, together with B-Sides, hosted by my colleague Ed, you can catch us on Spotify or Apple weekly, and then on YouTube a week later. Thank you, and goodbye.